My name is Kim Weeks, and this is Practicing Well. Richard Rosen wrote a book called The Yoga of Breath 21 years ago. This was after he'd been teaching yoga for 15 years, and it was right about the time that he was also diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I wanted to sit down and talk to Richard today for a bunch of reasons. First, I really was interested, and we talked a lot in the conversation about how he manages his condition, as he calls it, with yoga. I also wanted to see what he's up to after 20 years because I was his student for a while in the advanced studies program at Piedmont Yoga. Piedmont Yoga is a really interesting studio to highlight here on the podcast because it was started in 1987. So many influential yoga teachers from around that time and a little bit later moved through Piedmont and went on to teach elsewhere, like, for example, Ramanan Patel, somebody that has been mentioned on this podcast many times. And I also wanted to talk to Richard about how his practice, even his condition notwithstanding, has changed over the years, like I'm talking to many of his peers also on this podcast. So the conversation was really great. We talked a lot about the simplicity of his book, The Yoga of Breath, how many books now are coming out on the breath and how he was really ahead of his time. And we also talked about, you know, classes being different now than they used to be shorter in, you know, kind of smaller bursts and what that does to poses like Shavasana, poses and practices that can be so restful and quieting for the nervous system that, as Richard describes it, you know, is something that Westerners have traditionally avoided and not really enjoyed as much because in according to him in this, in our culture, we're sort of performative and we're moving fast and slowing down and practices like pranayama and poses like seated poses and shavasana sometimes get overlooked. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Richard Rosen, who is a longtime yoga practitioner and teacher and human being offering the evolving and deep way, especially through pranayama and shavasana that he offers in his classes. Here's Richard Rosen. Hi, Richard. Thanks for joining me on Practicing Well. Thanks for asking me to come on. You know, your teaching made an indelible impact on my own teaching, my own thinking about yoga practice, and especially about the breath and about pranayama. I was early on in my career when we first met and you taught me and these many, these few, these two decades later, I still think a lot about some of the teachings that came from you to me. And of course, went on to my students. And it of course makes me think about the conversations I've had on this podcast with teachers like you who have that kind of effect on students and who also are coming from a couple of different places, not just the Iyengar yoga tradition, but other traditions as well. And I thought we could start with your, how you arrived into the yoga classroom, how you, yeah, you know, the basic journey question, but I'd love to know, cause I never did get to ask you way back when. Um, I was living in Oakland, California, and um, I had just 
broken up with a girlfriend and I was feeling sorry for myself as people do when that happens. And um, I, I recall the book that I'd read when I was in grad school called um, um, Think on These Things or something like that by Krishnamurti. And at the time, which was in the late 70s, I had no idea what, what he was talking about. And I think I did really poorly on the test. But I finally found an apartment for myself and I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And I, re I remembered something about this book when I was just, you know, pondering over my life. And I picked up the book and it, it didn't make complete sense, but it made more sense. And that's really started me looking for other books like that. And um, I, I, I scoured bookstores as, as I want to do. I, I, I always buy a lot of books. And I, f I found this book by Robert DeRopp called um, The Master Game. And in it, he said something about yoga being the best exercise ever invented, something like that. So I thought, okay. And then I, I got a, a local paper and, and by some coincidence, there was a, an, an ad in there for the yoga room, which was in Berkeley, which was down the street, a couple of miles. So I thought, all right, I'll go. And I did. This was a, a May... May 1980, and um, yeah, that was it. I I, I actually I actually uh, started going regularly to, to classes down there. And the yoga room was what I, f I feel like Andrew Ferretti may have mentioned the studio as well last week when I talked to her. What was the lineage of yoga room, or what teachers were there? It was there? Iyengar, totally Iyengar, Iyengar. and mm -hmm. Donald Moyer was the director at that time. The late Donald Got Moyer, R.I.P. Um, and, and I, I took classes with him for, for many years. Wow. And so your verse, your first exposure, and you know, it, 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 I'm thinking about, um, you know, Judith Lassiter's come on and Jason Crandall's come on and a few people who, and Rodney, you know, who talk, yeah. have talked about yoga in the Bay area in the eighties, the nineties, and what a really, um, potent time that was for yoga did you experience that because you're was, one of the yeah it was a hotbed for at that time i mean right the, the, there were very few studios i think there were two in berkeley or in the east bay and i don't, I don't there was probably i don't know not that many in, in, in san francisco either and i where i, I was going to the anger institute there so, but people came from all over the world to, to go the, to get the training for uh, the Iyengar training. It was a two-year training in those days. So that's there were people from Japan and Germany and all over. Yeah. And that's really where the locus was. And I think I have heard some people talk about East Coast Iyengar yoga at that time and, and Bay Area. Well, or maybe it's Bay Area and L.A. But that's kind of those three areas were the places where most of the studying was taking place in the early days of Iyengar yoga. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you, did you then decide to take that teacher training and become an Iyengar yoga teacher? I did miss that thread. I don't know, actually. I, I have no idea why I started that training. I have completely forgotten. But I started That's in 1982. And uh, it was a two-year program in those days. So mm -hmm. it took me two and a half years to get through it, I think. But I, I, I've racked my memory for why I went. To, I, I just don't remember. But that's where I met Rodney uh -huh. for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so you then became an Iyengar yoga teacher. How long did you stay with that methodology? 
I wasn't really formally Iyengar teacher. I, I was Iyengar influenced, but I never, I was never certified. Mm-hmm. So I, I really couldn't call myself an Iyengar teacher. I, I was, see. Okay. I was, I, that was my, the extent of my training Iyengar. I see. But, well, what um, happened after that then? Where'd you go and who did you, I mean, the Krishnamurti, um, I too was very influenced by think on these things. Maybe it started with you, but I feel like it came from Eric Schiffman. Probably. Yeah. And that, and I've passed that book on and taught it myself because it's a really existential exploration of presence and being in the present moment. I remember so much. And I still think about this particular section of one of his speeches where he said, just wake up every day and try to look at everybody like you're just meeting them for the first time. Like, look at a bird, look at a blade of grass, look at the sky, like you've really never seen that detail or been in relationship to that thing. And it certainly has always been helpful for me in terms of yoga practice, because I I mean, I feel like if I'm ever doing a pose or doing a practice, I mean, pranayama never, ever feels the same. I don't think I've ever felt that way. But in other cases, if I feel like it's the same experience, I know there's some, there's some thickness in my mind or there's some, Mm. something's happening that's preventing me from actually being in that moment with the pose because it's by definition so different. Is that, you know, you mentioned Krishnamurti first. So is that the thread that kept pulling you through and into your teaching? So what, if you didn't become certified as an Iyengar yoga teacher, what then made you decide to become a yoga teacher? Uh, Rodney forced me. Well, uh, Rodney was the one that thought of <laughs> opening yoga school. Uh, he, uh-huh. he always has great ambitions and he, you know, so um, this was in 1987 when we opened the Piedmont Yoga Studio. That was that was in Oakland, and it was only the second, the second or maybe the third or fourth studio in the East Bay at that time. Still, um, and um, I had been teaching before then for, periodically, but not not nothing regular. And that's when I started teaching regular in 1987. And what was that like? I mean, did you feel prepared? Did you feel good about it? No, 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 no. I would I would follow Rodney on Tuesday night, see, and Rodney is the perfect yoga teacher in my opinion. I mean, he's got everything you need, and he had classes. That, that was, it was a fairly small room. I don't remember how many square feet it was, but it wasn't large. And he had so many people in the room they could barely breathe anymore. They were sucking up all the oxygen. And then I'd come in right after him after that with about three students, and it was it was quite an interesting contrast. <laughs> That's a. Oh man, I was Barbara Vena and John were Schumacher were on that just released their podcast today. And they were talking about their early days of teaching and how if three people came to class, they were psyched. I mean, they were so happy. So Rodney's, as we discussed before we clicked record, he's unusual. And I, before we opened the studio, Rod lived in Oakland and he had a big, he had a big dining room. He he was going out of town one, one week and he asked me to teach, teach from there. So I went to his house, to uh, his apartment, to to do the teaching, and I thought, you know, a few people there. The room was packed. I mean, he 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 was he was a he's a he's a, a yoga attractor, and people just 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 love him. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, thinking back to the way the two of you taught in concert with each other in this program where I met you both. Well, I met Rodney before I went out there because of 
him, he's just metaphoric. You know, he really kind of, you know, creates these moments in time that, um, well, to your point, sort of fill the space. He wears Um, his heart on his sleeve. He does. He comes out with the most incredible things. Sometimes they're not exactly true, but they they sound good anyway. (laughs) <laughs> and they feel good and it yeah, and it exactly. takes people to play i mean it, it is i mean i mean i keep saying this but you know his book the poetry of the body i was also very influential on me and just like when you're sitting there um listening to someone read poetry or reading a book of poetry yourself um you know you are bringing to bear your own experiences to that art which is why the poetry exists i mean you stitch you stitch experience into reality with poetic lines, much obviously more um, skillfully than you do by just expose, you know, by, by, by exposition, you know, just by talking about things, but you ultimately found your groove, I suppose, at that time with yoga of the breath. What, I mean, it's a great book and and so well organized (laughs) as I, you know, emailed you about. I had good editors. Yeah, I mean, did, did you did you think about creating that four part, those four parts to begin with, or yeah, let's just I, talk I, I, about I, the book? Yeah, I don't know about it to begin with, but I yeah, those 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 are my 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 thoughts. Mm-hmm. And what made you want to write about the breath versus about I don't know walking down the street or <laughs> uh, doing yoga on a Ferris wheel or you know what? Why the breath? I, I was asked to write the book by uh, by a publisher that I won't name, and uh, it didn't work out, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and I won't I won't go into the details of that. But um, so I was pretty disappointed when I was mm. when I when she said she didn't want to continue. Mm. So I called up a good friend of mine, Georg Furstein, who I'm sure you know about. Right. And I said, Georg, what am I going to do now? And he said, Don't worry about it. He, he got a hold of Shambhala, and they had a contract within a week. That's amazing. I mean, it was yeah, one it of the amazing. first. I mean, I think, I think it, I think to me, this part of, I mean, there's multiple parts of the conversation I'm really interested in getting into with you, but this part is so interesting from a kind of cultural, intellectual perspective because tons of books are now just dropping every other day about <laughs> yeah. the value of the breath, like why yeah, the breath, yeah. yoga and the breath. So, Let's talk about what you think you were doing with that book, what your hope for it was. I mean, did you have an audience in mind when you wrote it or? Well, I usually write my books for a general audience. I'm trying to keep them as simple as possible. And it was sort of like an an easy light on yoga or light on pranayama. Totally. Totally. And that's why I like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, Oh man, light on pranayama is so good, but it's so hard and it's so yeah. dense because by the time you get to the, you know, like I just have the Ujjayi, you know, and Veloma sections, well, all of the how-to sections toward the end of the book, you know, earmarked basically. I mean, I had to read a bunch yeah. of that book to get certified in Iyengar yoga, you know, in 2018, I guess it was. But to teach it and also to even do it myself, sometimes I, I mean, it, it's just like so much of Iyengar's work that when you read it, you realize there is no way I'm going to memorize this. There's just, <laughs> I need to just keep reading it because every day yeah. I read it, there's one word or one phrase or one something that sticks out. 
and I'm pretty sure I'm dyed in the wool yoga. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm not the general audience. Yeah. So, so when you wrote about, you know, clarification and cooperation yeah. of the breath, what were you talking about and what do you think is going on there now? Clarification comes with a word that means to be clear. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I think that's the first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my teachers said that um, Ramanand Patel actually yeah. said that um, before you change anything about yourself, you have to know you have to know yourself and know what you do before you try to change what you're doing. So I, that 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 was my first step: is just mm-hmm. find out who you are as a breather, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, um, cooperation yeah. is. Um, um, I, I, I've never really liked the the idea of uh, calling pranayama breath control. I, I don't think that's a that's a that's a a good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. So I I I I, I, um, I thought of it more as being in cooperation with your breath. Yeah. Your breath has a mind of its own, and and if you try to control it, who's doing the controlling? You know, if you're controlling from your brain, your brain's part of the problem uh, with with breathing. Totally. So and so uh, you know I I I. Um, I just I just decided to just watch my breath and see what it see what it wanted to do first before I started to change it. Mm-hmm. And how and so how 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 long do you think it takes? It takes everybody a different amount of time, doesn't it? Yeah, a different, course. yeah, depth and everything. Because sometimes I feel like I've made it's not it's progress is just not a word I also would use with pranayama mm-hmm. either. <laughs> Right, no. Mr. Iyengar's schedule in the back of light on pranayama is, is really un- unrealistic. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't. It ain't going to happen that way. Right. Uh, it takes a long time. Um, one of my teachers called it mule work. You yeah. just got to do it day after day and not not think about it that much. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah, because I'm just gonna just. I feel like if I, you know, what whatever explorations or understandings I may make, they just never feels like it's that solid. I mean, the breath isn't solid anyway, so I guess it's never going to feel that solid, but it just really does feel like it's always a new experience. And you can tether yourself to these rhythms of practice, like prolonging the exhale, prolonging the inhale, you know, interrupting either, interrupting both, you know, you doing it supine, doing it seated. Do you, there's tons, I mean, nearly all the people on this podcast in the audience are either longtime yoga practitioners or teachers. And I'm certain that they are relating to this conversation about how much work it takes to breathe or to look at your breath, to practice, to cooperate with your breath, other than the cooperation and the comprehension that you talk about in the book. Is there anything else you would describe or offer as guidance today after how many is it 20 years since you wrote the book? Uh, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, the, I, I always think of Mr. Arangar says that you practice waxes in ways like the moon. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're, you know, you're waxing and sometimes you're waning and, you know, that's just the way it goes. And it's not a bad thing entirely when you're waning. It, it, it oftentimes means that you're breaking down these old patterns and you're getting ready to install new ones, new, new, more improved, new improved patterns. Mm-hmm. Improved patterns. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess. I, or more I, healthy patterns, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Improvement makes it all. Yeah, I hear that and I start feeling a little stressed out. <laughs> I, don't, I, didn't, I try to improve so many other aspects. I sometimes just want to go into the breath and see it and be with it. Yeah. And just, you don't just want to have there. a goal. You just want to do yeah. it day by day and just let it happen. Totally, totally, totally. I mean, so, so from my point of view, that book is, uh, I love hearing that you wrote it for a general audience because that's to me the way it reads and the way that um, I think lots of people could take it in. And now how do you feel today about so many of these books written for general audiences like James Nestor's book, like there's just no, another. James Nestor was an interesting book. Yeah. What do you think um, about it? About James Nestor? No, about the book. book. Books in general? No, his book. The, these breathing books. It's sort of, I just, do you agree, I guess, or do you see or be, experience that there is this kind of wave of breathing books and breathing knowledge and breathing info that's sort of out there that people are trying to get a handle on in a way that I've never seen yeah, well, there are. I have a lot of books on breathing in my in my yoga library. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I'm not really sure what to say about them. They're 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 on a range of, of value, mm-hmm. um, but in general, I think people want to go too fast. I, I think uh, we we Westerners want to see results for our efforts, and we don't like yeah. to to um, to do things that we that we, that we don't feel like we're getting getting something out of it. And that's the problem. That's one of the big problems. I, I, I give some advice to people, to yoga teachers out there, prospective yoga teachers. Don't get pranayama as your beach practice, because mm-hmm. it, you know it's it, it doesn't it's not very popular even now. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, it 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 just it just doesn't it it just it just takes it, it's just too it's just too um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't know what to say. It's um, it just takes a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. you can you can touch your toes after a few a few asana classes, and you know that's a good part icebreaker at a party. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, you can't say you want to watch me breathe or something like that. It's it, so it true. Just, it just comes and goes, and uh, you know, and it also um, the, the other problem is that it, it it brings up things that may not be yeah. pleasant to, to to feel. Right. And that that happens, some fairly often. Yeah. So it it can be it can be a it could be a very disturbing practice at times. Mm-hmm. I remember when I lived in Oakland many years ago, and I was practicing pranayama in the morning. I would have um, headaches and irritability. I, I was I went through a long period of I was just fighting myself because of the breath, and uh, I finally figured out that I, I was being too aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then I had to back off. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that that helped. Do you have to be sort of, um, I don't know if a fearless is the right word or is it courageous because I I've never. Is, I think curious is a good word. Yeah. I think that, that that's the central, uh, the central uh, uh, emotion of the universe, I guess, is being curious, curious about oh, yourself. Totally. And you can use the breath as, as a way. It's funny. I, you know, I, students over the years have asked me, um, and earlier on, I don't hear it as much anymore, but what's the difference between meditation and breath cooperation, breath control. And I always find it so hard to describe the 
difference because they're to me they're just they're so massively other than each other i mean how, how do you do, do you get asked that question do you in your mind describe um, your own difference between the two i you know i guess it depends on what school of yoga you Mm-hmm. you follow and you know for in in the in patanjali yoga breathing is is a preparation for meditation mm-hmm. but i think in general for me uh, the breath and, and meditation come together they go together mm-hmm. um i i use my breathing as as a means of establishing a witness that follows me around all day looking over my shoulder watching what i say and do and think mm-hmm. i found that to be very useful because you're breathing all the time so you can you can always step back and, and reestablish that contact with your witness. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's funny. I my daughter, she probably would not like me saying this, but it's really worth it because out there in parent land, you know, parent mindful land, you know, it's like, you know, just breathe with your child and you know, sit down and have deep, long breaths. <laughs> and my daughter, when, <laughs> when she was younger. Player? Yeah, exactly. The soccer player. So I would get early, I would, you know, but yeah, you know, let's just take a breather. Let's take some breaths. And she'd go and she would just start like breathing so hard and so aggressively. And it was just, it always be so funny to me because I was like, this is the perfect gift that she's giving me as a yoga teacher because there's no chance I'm going to get her to calm down by using the breath. It just, not, it, it, not, not at a young age anyway. Exactly. It may at some point, but she just doesn't trend that way. She needs to do a handstand to calm down. She needs to, do... want to be active. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, I just, it, 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 it's just, it's been such a journey, even as a parent to um, integrate these learnings into my own, you know, pranayama practice, because it just always makes you laugh so much. Well, that's not, we're not going to calm down that way. Um, my my so, wife, my wife convinced me when when she was pregnant. She goes to a, a, a psychic every now and then. She oh, me cool. for a long one time, and I thought, all right. But the psychic told me when my wife was pregnant that the guru was about to be awakened. Yeah, well, my daughter was born. I, it, it, it's sort of true. I mean, yeah. I learned a lot about myself from her. Oh my god, totally. I mean, I'm sure it still continues, right? <laughs> More than ever. <laughs> yeah, she's exactly. She's she's thirty now. And, oh, that's uh, great. She wants to. Uh, she wants me to live forever, so she's controlling everything I do to make sure I, I, I do live forever. Yeah, I really. It's funny. I just texted my dad um, the image of this like Walker. He had polio when he was young, and so it's it's ravaging him now. As yeah, in his bad. late seventies, yeah. yeah, it's one of the reasons I teach yoga actually, because I stared at his spine growing up, and it was, you know, the he. he, he uh, uh, they shape in the late forties, you know, when he had it, he didn't walk for six years from five, he got it at six and he finally was able to walk again when he was 11 because they figured out, they shaved off a little, uh, like a shard of his femur and they yeah. stuck it up. They stuck it up his T-spine, which yeah. is what had melted from the polio. Yeah. And they reconstructed his foot, which also had kind of melted away and he was upright once again because they figured out how to take one of his own, a portion of one of his his longest bone, and shunt and and be basically um, make it be the brace. But anyway, he's obviously like his spinal column now is like kind of twisting off of 
um, the sacrum because they couldn't really stop the twist. They could, they could get him upright, but they couldn't. So anyway, I just, I texted him and, um, like the image of a walker that I saw where he could put his elbows on it, you know, and he texts back like, I'm good. I got it. I'm all right. I got these two things. So I relate to your daughter's all saying that it's hard because it's attachment and we want to help. And I wonder if, you know, this is a good intro or in entree or whatever into talking to you about your Parkinson's because this has been something you've been working with for (laughs) years now using yoga to work with. And I, and I do think that for this podcast, it's one of the first that we, will have had of a yoga person, a yogi, a yoga teacher, a longtime yoga practitioner discuss, you know, um, the, a disease state, a state of, you know, activity of the mind-body complex that you may or may not be using yoga successfully to manage. I don't know about that. And I'm just fascinated to learn. Well, I don't call it a disease for, I call it a condition that makes it okay. a little bit better. Fair enough. Um, um well, I've been very fortunate. I've had it for 20. I've been diagnosed for 21 years. I probably had okay. it a few years before then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yoga, asana, I should say, not yoga, but asana is helpful. Uh, it's not a cure-all uh, by any means. Uh, and But uh, but especially breathing is, is, very, is very useful because one of the side effects of um, a Parkinson's is, is anxiety. Hmm. And um, and I went to um, anxiety and depression. And the, the funny thing is, I, I went to a, a, a psychiatrist for the depression, and she she was a medical doctor as well. And she gave me a pills to take. And I went to the pharmacy to get the pills. And while I was there, I, I decided to treat myself to a chocolate bar. And I, I got that to the to the counter with the pills. And the chocolate bar cost more than the pills. Oh, it was man. good chocolate, but uh, I thought to myself, you are just dispensing these things like candy. I thought of THX 1138, the movie by, uh, anyway, never mind about yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I got home and I, I dumped the pills out in the toilet. Oh, and wow. I, I started breathing and um, the, the slowing the breath and waiting for the breath to come back is, is a really effective way to to all almost always calm down the anxiety mm-hmm. so you know in that respect uh, my yoga practice was was very was very one of the things is i, I when i was diagnosed with yoga uh, with, with parkinson's I yoga. <laughs> if only we could all be diagnosed with yoga that would be <laughs> I awesome had, I, I, i'd had i'd been a practitioner for 21 years or 22 years already and um I had an advantage over other people who who, 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 who developed Parkinson's later in life. And that, that is, I, I knew my body really well by then. Yeah. I could find things in my body that, you know, the average person has no idea where they are. Right. So I could, I could pretend to be normal if I thought about it. So I, it was turned into like a med- meditation when I was walking down the street or, hmm. I don't know, just sitting. I would, I would, I would, I would purposely walk normally. And, um, it, you know, that, that, that was, that was one of the things that yoga really helped me do. But, you know, the, now that this, now that the condition is, 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 is progressing and you can hear me stuttering a little bit and, and losing my words, my balance is, is really off too. So I have to really be careful now when I walk down the street. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you, I'm just thinking specific, do you do asymmetric poses 
I, I had a teacher training once who worked with people with Parkinson's. And so she would often, you know, do like tree pose against the wall, for example, are there, I mean, you're, you're to your point about knowing so much more about your body, you may be beyond, you know, just applying tree pose to your right, left side or balance, but do, what do you, are, do you have any specific uh, postural things you do to manage the balance? Well, um, I, uh, I have a, have a, I practice in the evenings usually. And um, I, I, I just work on the basics, like the groins, mm-hmm. the, the um, side torso, mm-hmm. um, the chat, the opening, the chest, because I, I, I spend a lot of time in front of the computer. Mm hunched over so i have to watch my i have to watch my 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 up my back yeah. um i just do i just you know it's it's a, it's a lot of laying around lying around now rather than being more active because the balance is off right but i use a chair when i need to balance and uh, you know I, I can still i can still do i, I can't do um it's, it's hard for me to do inversions now i, I have a headstand mm-hmm. that I use, and i, I um i I use a pole. I don't know if you know how to do that, but you take a pole of a shoulder stand and you sort of screw it into your back to get get the chest to open up. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I made I've made uh, I've made uh, a lot of good use of props, and I, I that's really helpful for me as a teacher because now I, I I'm one of the things I'm, I think I'm really good at as a teacher is using props. Yeah, I, well, my memory is you are so good at using props. In fact, I can remember. This work, we upper this, you know, upper like upper trapezius stabilizing that mm-hmm. we did with you on a chair, like tons of us in a room, and there were fortunately at Piedmont Yoga Studio enough chairs, and I I still teach that today, or you know do it with myself. So I don't know. I yes. think you probably were down the prop rabbit hole early on. Do you see anybody, uh, any other yoga teacher like? colleagues or anybody out there who has worked with other people with Parkinson's? Uh, well, a, a yoga friend of mine, Vicki Bell, mm-hmm. Vicky, Vicky Bell does a, uh, a lot of work uh, with, with Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. I actually started that class years ago mm-hmm. and it just got to be too, um, it just got to be too heavy for me. Yeah. So I gave it to her. She took it over without really knowing anything about, about Parkinson's. And she's really, you know, she's made it into a, into a really interesting, um, useful um, program for for people with Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you, if, you, if you need somebody to talk to about Parkinson's, she would be the one to contact. Yeah, that would be great. I'm sure there will be people who who will contact her about that. So do you? So I wanted to ask about the the um, the the pausing in the breath. Do you find that the pausing and waiting for the breath to return? at the end of the exhale is what is quieting most for your, the anxiety. Absolutely. And is it yeah. Pause it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pause is the pause is stillness and silence. It's, it's a, it's a movie screen actually. And the breath is projected onto the screen. Mm-hmm. So no matter how, no matter what the breath is, the screen is always there. It's, it's always the same. It's always, it's always white and blank, like in a, like a movie theater. And, um, and also inhalations are stimulating simulating half of the breath so when i wait for the breath um it, it usually takes i don't know five or ten or fifteen seconds but there's there comes a, a a point where you where the where the breath just wants to come in and so i take it in with a minimum amount of effort and that 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 sort of vitiates the the the, uh, the stimulants of, of the inhalation mm-hmm. 
And then the exhalation is very long and slow. And that's the, that's the calming breath. So I, I do that. I, I teach pranayama, well, breathing anyway, in, in all my classes, all my public classes for 15 minutes at the end. Yeah. And that's the first thing we always, well, the first thing we start to do always is bring ourselves to ourselves. Just look at ourselves. Right. Right. Get centered in yourself. And then, then we do the slow breathing with, with the pause at the end. Mm-hmm. With the pause at the end. Yeah. Do you ever do the pause at the top at the end of the inhale? Not with beginners. I, I mean, we'll pause. This, I won't do retention, but we'll, we'll pause for two or three counts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are you um, teaching them in the sort of st- uh, standard? I mean, do you have them supine? Do you have them on blankets so their chest is open? It's 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 optional. Some of them like to. I've had some students now for I don't know fifteen twenty years. So yeah. Um, it's optional. I, I give the option at the, at the start of the practice. You can lie down. And I show them how to make a support, or you can sit up. It, it's it's totally it's totally optional. And most people lie down, yeah. but there's a few there's a few sitters. Yeah, a few sitters. I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's big work to sit and to follow your Absolutely. breath. <laughs> I mean, it's Absolutely. It, it, you know, I I don't know, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's sitting against the wall. I'm not sure that's how, that's usually the progression that I was taught, you know, supine against right. the wall, seated, and then in the middle of the room, if you if you so dare, which sounds a little challenging. I don't mean for it to sound that way. It's just that it's, it's intense. It's, uh, it's deep <laughs> to, to breathe like that. And without, you know, sometimes I, I mean, I do it in the mornings and it's always dark. And so, and I start supine and then sit. Yeah. And, I don't know. There's just something about like the vastness of the space, like in front to the sides and behind you, there's so much. And it usually feels comforting to be enclosed in that much space, but it still feels really big and really vast. And you're obviously just the small parts of the musculature that have to be ready to take on that. Do you, um, so, so you're still teaching after, these many years since I, so that how many, so you've been teaching now for what, 40 36, years, 30, 36 30, years, 36 years. And do you, are you finding with your condition that teaching is a steady act or you have, you had to pull back or how do you manage? Um, um, I've had to, I've had to pull back in, in giving talks. Mm-hmm. My, my, my memory is, is, is not good anymore. I, I put my keys down five minutes later. I can't find them. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I, I, I have a hard time giving, I can answer questions all day. So if, if, it, if somebody wants me to give a talk, I say, well, you have to give me some questions and I'll answer the gotcha. questions. Right. But if I have to give a talk off the top of my head, um, that, that's very difficult for me right now. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I'm, I need notes. If I don't have any notes, I'm, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing I've, I've I've turned down a couple of opportunities to do to do um, trainings and history of yoga and whatnot, but I, I I can still I still teach my regular classes. It's no nothing's changed there. Right. I was taught when I talked to Barbara Bainon John last week. Was it? Yeah, my conversation was two weeks ago, I guess. And I just again just released the conversation today, and I was asking them what has changed in their teaching if their intentions have changed if their approach has changed and they really neither of them were said that much had changed except that their practices have changed and john was saying you know my i keep finding that 
what I'm what I'm really focusing on now is becoming quiet and present, teaching the students to be quiet and present. And Barbara, Barbara had a little bit of a physical kind of description, just that her actual postures have changed and morphed over time, but she didn't, well, and she's not, she's only teaching like a couple times a month, not, not much, but how would you say, I know, well, how, yeah. Well, how would you say that your teaching has changed and has, <clears throat> has Parkinson's informed the way you teach like the, a general population as well? Um, I, 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 that's hard to say. I, I don't know. I, I, I've never thought of that before. Uh, but I, I certainly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite as Iyengarish as I used to be. You know, I, I don't insist on people doing things the Iyengar way. If they're doing, you know, if somebody's rounded forward and forward bend, you know, as long as you're not killing your back. Um, I, I just, when I first started teaching, I was very, you know, very strict. You know, this and that. But now it's I'm, 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 I let I let people have their own way it, unless it's really dangerous or you know or unless they can improve what they what they're doing easily, um, and I just um, I just I, I try to make my classes suit the the students that come to me now. I, I have mostly I have a lot of more old, I have a lot older students. I get a few younger ones every now and then, but they're, they're mostly older. You know, you have to really. You have to be careful with, with, with those folks and not really push them that that hard. But you know, it's, it's amazing. I've I've got seventy six year old female students who are still doing handstands. Yeah, that's that that just that just makes me uh, makes me uh, just that's just just really amazing. God, what did you do during COVID? Did you teach online? Online, yeah, yeah, like the rest was, of us. <laughs> that's fun. Ugh, I mean, I don't know. I try. <laughs> you know, hope springs eternal. And I was like, well, you know, and, and, and have said, you know, many times that people with social anxiety and people who for all kinds of reasons were not able, especially working parents, for example, to take, take that 20, 25, 30 minute commute to the pay for the parking and get into the class and drive home. No, no, no. There's like, there's like an accessibility piece that I think is really great. And the social anxiety piece for me personally was great. I mean, I, I, I found that I was able to get much deeper with my practice in the beginning for the first year of COVID as I took classes, because it just stripped away. So many of the anxieties I had leaving my kids at home and, you know, um, a couple times, you know, I mean, I sort of teach yoga for a living. So I would often be teaching at night and then taking classes at night always felt like kind of an abdication of my role and putting them to bed, stuff like that. So then just having them going to bed down the hallway while I was taking a class took me places in my practice that psychically I wasn't able to go before, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a little maxed out on it now. Are you doing any online teaching? It's oh yeah. Uh, All my classes are online. Oh, they are. Uh, Okay. gotcha. It's a double-edged sword. I mean, on the one hand, you can't make any useful adjustments unless you can get them to understand you verbally what to do. And it's really hard to, some, some of the people don't show up on the screen. So so there's, you know, I, I always have to remind the, the 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 who's ever out there to be careful. I can't see you, so I, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. But on the other hand, I have students coming from all over the U.S. and England. I had, uh, so I have mm-hmm. some English students, 
That's and, great. Uh, you know, that, that gives them an opportunity to come take class. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't know you had not gone back in person. Have you not? Why have you not gone? No, back I'm in person. person. I, it's oh, a, also. It's a hybrid class. Gotcha. There's a camera that, that I have a model. Mm-hmm. The camera is focused on the model. And, and so the people great. at home can follow the model. Yeah, that makes it easier for you. It's I, I just, you know, the thing that yoga teachers, I think we all tend to say right now is that teaching a hybrid class from yeah. the studio is pretty stressful because you, you're looking at the students and you can't move away from the screen because you want them to be able to see you. But if you have a model that takes care of that problem. Yes. And then if you then do you just instruct to the ones that you see as often as you can? Um, I try to split my uh, my attention mm-hmm. uh, between the two, two uh, but uh, unfortunately, I, I I often get caught up in the people in the room, especially if it's a big class. Yeah, totally, and I, I I sort of forget about the people online. But I, I try to you know I try to do one hat one side one 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 group and the other side the other group, mm-hmm. and just you know just encourage people that are online that you know that they're doing well. Mm-hmm, totally. Do you think it's, um, do you prognosticate about where you think yoga might be going? Do you think about that sometimes? Do you think we're hybrids here to stay kind of a thing or? Oh, I'm definitely hybrids here to stay. I think it's going to become, you know, it's become a thing now. People, some people just really like it. Some people hate it. They won't, I'm, I have regular students that never show up online, but I have regular students, you know, they, they roll out of bed, get their tea, wash their hair, and then they're online, you know, totally. and their cats are walking in front of them and the dogs and the kids and, you know, it's a real home experience. Yeah. Yeah. You get to see totally. what people's rooms look like. Oh my gosh. Isn't that, and well, and also, well, for me, I, you know, I took a slight, you know, the, within the Iyengar yoga community that I don't know, I can't speak for all of, you know, the Iyengar yoga teachers out there, but I think many, um, especially if they had relationships with their students asked, you know, please keep your cameras on. Yes. I, I, I put a blog post up, um, my God, I mean, it must have been, it had to have been 2020 where I took a picture of my practice space and like labeled it, you know, mm-hmm. like if I, if I can, if I can see your space, the way you can see this picture, then I'll be able to help you. I'll be able to teach you. I'll be able to, blah, blah, blah. and so people would use it and sort of use it as their marker. And, you know, I feel like all the time I'm like, Hey, can you tilt your camera down? Can you, this, can you, that? I mean, John Schumacher does that too. He, <laughs> he was, he, he really, um, had assistants at the beginning of his classes at the beginning of COVID through COVID um, get people to adjust their cameras. Like he, the assistants would be kind of chatting the students, the many, you know, students in the class to um, position their cameras so that he could see them better. It was pretty amazing, actually. I mean, that's like, that's like kind of next level, but that's definitely what I think some people out there trying to do to give the students at home the most benefit possible. So do you, do you think, I mean, you know, since you've written this one book, which is such a deep book about a practice, I love, I love the, the naming of like cooperation with the breath instead of control of the breath. I think that's just awesome. And do you, I mean, so you wrote it at that time because that's what you were thinking, or is there anything you're thinking about yoga going forward now that you want to talk about, that you're thinking about the yoga, you know, industry, the community, yoga teachers, now that you're this many years in to teaching? I don't know. Um, um, you know, it, it's such a, it's such a different world now than, than when I started. 
I mean, you know, my nobody knew what was going on in the yoga class, and now it's it's everywhere. It's in advertising. It's you, people are walking down the street with their, with their with their mats rolled up on their back, and it's it's a completely different world. And that's a good thing, and it, and and it's not sometimes it's not such a good thing too because, um, you know, in, in the old days, um, we we were we were very dedicated. Iyengar, you know, Iyengar students are. They like punishment, so we, we go to class quite regularly. Right. But nowadays, it, you know, it's it's like it's in the, you know an hour long class, an exercise class, and, max. Yeah. 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 That, that that just doesn't feel. You know, I'm 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 kind of an old fashioned guy in that way. I, I like hour and a half, two hour classes, mm-hmm. and um, it's just it's just a different feel now, which is good in a way because the more people that join in, the better it is. I mean, the, the more the more benefit it, 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 it distributes, but um, still, um, I, I wish that you know some my, our, my students would be a little bit more, a little bit more. You know, I I, I, I shouldn't say this, but they, they they should be a little bit more dedicated. I think mm-hmm. to really make it, make a difference in their lives. Yeah, I was just gonna say, what happens when you're not as I thought you were gonna say committed? I mean, dedicated is you know they're pretty similar words. But do, do you, what do you think happens when there's less dedication to the practice? Is it just well, less benefit or what, what is there? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, well, that depends on the person and how, how he or she or, or they are, are, are working the poses mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, whether it's benefit or not. Mm-hmm. But I think it, 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 it you, for example, um, I even reviewed videos for Yoga Journal for 20 years or something like that, 15, 20 years. And what I what I saw in every video was that Shavasana was 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 you know ignored or or, or downgraded quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you know that's one of the things that in my classes that, that's unusual, I think, because I do like 10, 12 minute shavasanas at the end of the class. And I have that luxury because I have a 90 minute class. But I think, you know, I think it's it's it for a lot of people now it's just in and out. And they don't really have taken time to slow down and take a breath and look at themselves in more, 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 more fully. Totally. You know, Andrea told me, um, Ferretti, that she went to this class um, and she loves the class and she loves yes. the teacher and she loves the experience. And she's so glad she's back in the world taking yeah. class after being online. But at the end of the class, the teacher going into Shavasana, this is blows my mind so I just I wonder what you think said okay you you now is the last pose of class shavasana or maybe he said corpse pose who knows um and he said so you're welcome to lie here if you want Uh and relax but you can also leave if you'd like Mm. I'll be I'll be outside waiting for whenever you'd like to leave. So he left the class mm-hmm. and left the students to choose whether, you know, they should do Shavasana or not do Shavasana. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's total next level releasing of Shavasana from the class. Because, yes. you know, when I was early on, I took one of my first teacher trainings with Eric Schiffman and he said, which is like such a great rubric. He was like, listen, at least five minutes for every hour, at least. 
if there's an hour of practice, at least five minutes of Shavasana. And so that just always rings in my mind because, you know, Judith, as a teacher, Judith, Judith, Judith would say five minutes for every half hour. Half hour. Oh, no way. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Half hour. Yeah. yeah. Well, and she, and she's staying totally true to that with, uh, you know, she, when she and Lizzie came on to talk yeah. to me about, you know, essentially what they're doing with with the modern practice of restorative yoga of which of course shavasana is yeah. a key component right. so yeah i i'm i'm i i appreciate that i appreciate that um kind of noting the shavasana the crisis of shavasana yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we should call this podcast that the crisis of shavasana because the more if we were to do more of that i think there would be more uh, more of a depth oh, yeah. practice I have people online that cut out when Shavasana comes. Oh, such a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask actually, you know, if, if we've gone from these like kind of rich, I mean, okay. I, I don't, it doesn't feel that good to do a point counterpoint. Like, Oh, it was so awesome when we were 90 <laughs> minutes, two hours. And now it's so bad because yeah. it's so much more complex than that. Yeah. But if let's just say we have, as it is true that we have reduced the total amount of time that someone would be having in a yoga experience led by a teacher that we call a yoga class. Yeah. And therefore every pose potentially has less time to sort of marinate or, you know, to, and therefore by the end of class, Shavasana which typically is the longest pose you'll practice oh, in a class, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Also gets shortened. How, I, I, I don't know how we get it back. I don't know how we can explore. One of the things, one of the things about Western yoga, is it, 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 it was designed, I think, purposely to make it harder. Mm-hmm. If you look at the old texts, hmm. um, there's there's no backbends, very few backbends in the old text, right. and very few standing poses. They're mostly squats and, and sitting positions. Mm-hmm. And um, for Westerners, that would never work. Uh, that would never. No, nobody would go to a class to sit in a squat for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so Krishnamacharya, and I, I know I, I don't know this for sure. This is just my own thinking. But he 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 jazzed up the practice. He made it much more difficult. And that's what Westerners like. They want to be challenged and they want to, they want to work and they want to sweat. The problem is they, they don't, they also don't want to slow down to, to break. There's no balance between doing and not doing, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure how to get them to, to not do, but I, I, I try to convince my students in, in, in classes to not, to, to not work so hard, to try easier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I just, I want to respect your time and thinking about like kind of closing it down with this thought. I I wonder what you think about this. I, my experience, I mean, the reason I do this podcast is because during COVID, I had this opportunity to be exposed to so many different kinds of yoga practitioners all over the world who were during lockdown interested in um, some of the podcast or sorry, webinars that I was putting on with Satbir Singhalsa and some others. And my observation is that, 
a huge amount of yoga practitioners are trending toward the not doing in the form of what things called like vin yin, you know, vinyasa yin practice, restorative yoga, um, yoga nidra. There's a lot yeah. of practices that have gotten kind of elevated like the nap ministry um, is, is not, she's not a yoga teacher, but she seems to have a huge, very intersectional or cross-sectional with a lot of yoga teachers in which the sort of like genius of the nap of relaxation of stopping is really making its way into yoga practice. So I wonder if we like sped it all up, made it really hard. And then something like COVID came and it just like screeched everything to a halt and people are using yoga more now for to rest i don't know have you seen anything like that i, I can't say that i have i i don't really know um my, my students don't my students are are, are are brainwashed now into doing their shavasana and, and, and um good they, they, they expect it so but you know the, the, sometimes i get this a person a new student says that was a really good class but do we have to do all that breathing at the end huh. And so, you know, I say, yes, you have to. And then, you know, then I never see that person again. Uh-huh. But, you know, well, um, it's, um, I think it's, uh, you know, that's why, that's what makes it so hard to, um, to, to predict what's going to happen with yoga over the next decades or uh, century or whatever. It's just, you know, people are innovating so much and, and trying to find some, some new way to go. that it's just really hard to predict what's going to happen over, over time. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, a great place to end. I think it's really great in 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 the not knowing, <laughs> in the not knowing, and the not doing, and not sort of projecting our brains onto where things might be going. It'd be really cool to receive it and see. Um, it was really great to talk to you after all these years, Richard. And I really hope that we do. I, I really enjoyed that too. Yeah, me too. And I hope that we get to see another book from you. And I hope that we can take this conversation. Um, someplace else the next time. I'm having some people come back on because so many things come up during the conversation. Um, but it, yeah, it would be great to see you again. Thanks for uh, joining me today. Thank you again, Kim. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This show was produced by Alyssa Yaroshevsky and me. And the music is original music from my former band, Governess. Please share what you liked or wanted to know more about from this podcast, please take two minutes to review it. If you have the chance from wherever you do get your podcasts, send me an email directly to Kim at weekswell.com to start a dialogue about how you practice well and what practicing well looks like in your life. You can follow us on weekswell.com, follow us on weekswell in many different iterations between Facebook Instagram and uh, Twitter and TikTok, you'll find us there, either weeks.well or weeks underscore well. See you next time.